This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Good day, greetings, hello, and welcome to Art at the End of the World, the podcast where we welcome artists, entertainers, and cultural leaders speaking about what it is to make art here at the end. And my name is Mark Wigmore. Welcome to the season two finale of the show, Art at the End of the World. And uh, I have to say over the last week or two promoting the podcast whether it be here or online or on the air at the new Classical FM where I work. It's felt a little awkward, to be honest, chatting up the brand. I am not trying not trying to make things worse, I promise. Uh, but you wouldn't be the first person to tell me that uh, the moniker is hitting a little close to home these days, a little close to the bone. But at any rate, I certainly hope you're holding up and staying safe. And I know some science leaders have suggested... Imagine you have COVID-19, the virus, and how you would interact in the world knowing that. So that is the mind shift, I suppose, we have to uh, think about going forward. Anyway, all the best to you. And how glad am I that we managed to sneak in this interview with legendary singer-songwriter Gordon Lightfoot before the door was shut on such meetings and ideas And uh, doors have been shut really all over the city. State of emergency called over the last week in Toronto and Ontario, other places uh, within the country, certainly in B.C. Gordon and I met at the Warner offices north of uh, the city about a week or so ago. And even then, he was fist bumping. No hugs or anything like that, uh, just to be cautious. His lovely wife was there as well. And... It's a bit of a a wild and meandering conversation, but I'm very happy that it happened. And really, how incredible to get a chance to speak with a guy who's part of the pantheon of singer-songwriters from the late 60s and 70s, and very special for our last episode this season. I came up with the title for this podcast as I was walking through the forest one day, a couple years back now. And at the time, I was feeling overwhelmed. And I think at the moment, I would say it was the cultural changes we were going through. Me Too, creating quite a stir through the arts world, changing distribution systems for art, what that meant for the livelihoods of artists, changing politics, nationalism, xenophobia on the rise. And really, I personally was just trying to get a toehold during an age of outrage and echo chambers and Twitter And that was the thinking. That was what inspired the title. It just sort of popped into my brain. And so this moment where we're seeing an actual health scare, a pandemic, is really beyond anything I ever imagined. And uh, how quickly it has dominated the news cycle and daily life is, is really nothing short of breathtaking, staggering, really. And so many of the artists that have appeared on this show or who I've spoken to on my radio programs, they're in a real quagmire right now. And that goes for all the industries that are public and require groups of people to function. And so we're thinking about you right now. If you're one of those people trying to figure out the next move, trying to put together your finances. But honestly, my heart goes out as well to all the artists, the hardworking artists who help to create empathy in this world and who give context and reflect our experiences in ways that make us better people for witnessing their perspectives. And I personally will make it my mission to continue to support you and get the word out as much as I can in the weeks to come on my show, The Oasis, on the new Classical FM. And we are starting to book artists and interviews on the show again, uh, many of them on the phone for the time being. And we are looking at uh, what's happening next with this podcast. So I'm with you, we are with you, and uh, hopefully we can all work together to see some light at the end of the tunnel. 
Two companies I know are affected by the coronavirus are sponsors of this very podcast. And this is not how I wanted to say thank you on our final episode of season two with doors closed and contracts being put on hold. But when we get back to business in our next season, I will be sure to remind you of how great it was to work with Crow's Theater over this last 10 episodes, one of this country's most acclaimed arts organizations based in Toronto's vibrant East End community. Crow's Theater, creating unforgettable theater that examines and illuminates the pivotal narratives of our times. How important is that right now? Crowstheater.com for info on what's happening with them currently and uh, into next season. The company located, by the way, at Carla and Dundas. And when it's safe to do so in the months to come, you should go see a show there. And thanks again to Suzanne and the team at Red Eye Media. Suzanne, you have been such a champion of this podcast. Thank you. It means so much. And Red Eye Media, a leading arts and entertainment communications company, working with award-winning clients, including the Musical Stage Company, SummerWorks Performance Festival, Crows Theatre, and many others to learn more RedEyeMedia.ca, and hopefully we are going to do this again, this podcast. So if you want to uh, come on board and be a sponsor, we've had several companies come to us just over the last couple of weeks asking to be a part of the next season. Please do get in touch. You can find us at ArtAtTheEndOfTheWorld.com. I want to take a moment and thank you for all the notes and emails over the last couple of weeks. We've had numerous people ask why I called the podcast Art at the End of the World. Am I somehow psychic? I hope I answered that question earlier, but uh, it was not some sort of marketing stunt. I can tell you that. It was just an honest sense of where we are and where artists are and and uh, the the challenges that we're facing this moment and Really a way to talk about a lot of the issues and have the thoughts of artists underlined with a new platform. But uh, thank you for all the notes. Thank you for everybody who's come on board and started listening over this last uh, 10 or 20 episodes here. We also heard from uh, so many people who enjoyed Carolyn Taylor from Baroness Von Sketch, our guest last week. And you can listen to all the episodes free of charge, the brand new episodes and the remix episodes from the first season. Wherever you subscribe to podcasts, please do subscribe to Art at the End of the World. All right, here we go. I can see her lying back in her satin dress in her Well, you know that voice, Gordon Lightfoot. Where do you even start with this man? Beyond just a great songwriter, just part of the ether, part of the cultural fabric. I was watching the film Knives Out the same night that I interviewed uh, Gordon Lightfoot, and right there in the soundtrack, one of his songs, Serendipitous. The man is just woven into popular music at this point. I remember, I, I think my mom will have to uh, get back to me on this, but mom, maybe you remember, I think there was a copy of Gord's Gold. It was that double album in my parents' record collection. And I remember listening to that record. It was probably the first chance I had to hear his songs. And even then, you know, you'd, you'd heard them on the radio, even though I was discovering vinyl, discovering music. I felt like, okay, I'm already familiar with these songs. Then I remember, you know, you sort of have the image of the the younger Gordon Lightfoot. That was often the one that would be beamed at you. I remember seeing him in the fundraising uh, music video, Tears Are Not Enough, with all those Canadian music stars back in the 80s. It was kind of a fun memory of Gord. That was all put into context when I got together with John Donaby, who was actually uh, is one of the guests on this season. You can have a listen to it if you go back into the episodes. But we had Gordon on way back about 20 years ago. And... John really set me straight. He sort of connected all the dots for me. And that's when it dawned on me, you know, back in the 90s, 2000s, how important Gordon Lightfoot is to the tapestry of music. And when you think about it, it's Bob Dylan. It's Joni Mitchell. It's Leonard Cohen. Maybe Neil Young. 
and Gordon Lightfoot. Those are the names. Those are the pillars of modern singer-songwriters that everybody can kind of go to and, uh, you know, haul out the guitar around the campfire, and we know those songs. In fact, I can remember, and I, I think I'm going to bring this story up with, uh, with Gordon, I can remember going to the Songwriters Hall of Fame and just lucky enough to be a fly on the wall right next to me in the next table while I was enjoying a cocktail, there was Gordon Lightfoot and Leonard Cohen having a conversation. I, I felt like I was seeing a, a dragon or something. <laughs> it, was, it was an unbelievable moment, very special. He's a Governor General's Performing Arts Award winner, Order of Canada, of course. He's in the Songwriters Hall of Fame. That's right, the big international one. The Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame, of course. I was lucky enough to work at uh, CBC Music for many years, and it was there that I really had a chance to start spinning the tunes and play Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, Early Morning Rain, Sundown, If You Could Read My Mind, Baby Step Back. I really like that one. And so this was just an unbelievable opportunity and chance to uh, to get to meet the man and, and have a conversation. His influence so vast, so many hits, so many great records, all the famous tours, all his time at the Mariposa Festival, his, uh, I guess you could say, hundreds of concerts at Massey Hall, all the famous moments. And then he's there's been a real spotlight on him over the last few years. The new biography uh, by Nicholas Jennings, not that new, but fairly new. You can read that. He, by the way, penned the new article in Zoomer magazine about Gordon. There's the new documentary film, which you can catch if you could read my mind. So for this conversation, we met at Warner's and uh, I just tried to be open and follow along with what Gordon wanted to do. He's got this new record out, first record in 16 years. It's titled solo and we'll listen to a bit of that over the next hour as well so here we go our season finale with the legendary gordon lightfoot on art at the end of the world it's so easy to live with no fear or deceit but sometimes i think maybe i have skipped a beat the road i chose was not all it should be But sometimes it was Oh so sweet Oh let me go too deep <laughs> <laughs> Well we'll see about that Who was it band that called themselves The Gretzky Dwayne Gretzky Dwayne Gretzky They were damn good I hear they're damn good I mean, we worked with them. I heard them. We yeah. heard them playing in New York. We heard them. Nice. You know what was a fun show was seeing Randy Bachman with the Sadies. Did you hear about those shows? Yeah. Oh, that's good. I'm glad they got that together. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they were at my house all a couple of days. They, they lost everything. All the fun that we had, they didn't. They didn't get on it the in the cutting there. room floor. Uh, up in the cutting room floor. You guys still get out to uh, the wild? Uh, I know you did that for a long time. I don't know if you're still doing it. No, I don't do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Those days are gone. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do that no more. <laughs> I only ask because I recently came into a, uh, a cabin, and so I'm cutting my teeth. I'm trying to learn to wear lumberjack outfits and use chainsaws and all these things, you know, uh, get used to having moose swimming on my island and oh, so yeah. on. All that stuff. It's fun, right? <laughs> Yeah, did, uh, when you say it came into it, what uh, did you buy it or did you inherit it? Or? Yeah, sort of inherited it. It was like a. And uh, now it's your responsibility. It is. Yeah, that's kind of how I inherited <laughs> so you, it. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're telling me. Yeah, it's, okay, it, well, that's it's, good. So you got to work at that. Yeah. We, we we were always moving day to day. You know, we. Uh, I, you would fly up north. Is that what we'd you start? Would? Some of our, our trips started at, at Yellowknife. Nice. Uh, we had one started once at Thompson, Manitoba. We had one start uh, at Ross River in the Yukon one time. And I had another one start in uh, northern Quebec. We, we started in Shibugama a couple of times. What's the strangest sight you ever saw up there? It took you the, by surprise. In the land of the, of the midnight sun. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. You know, the strange... The, the strange, animals? The strangest... Well... The, the wildlife is, is always present and always... That was the part that I really liked. And, Me too. And we had some good photographers uh, on some of these trips, too, and they got some really good photography, of wildlife photography. Nice. 
So it was mostly the traveling, and uh, you know, what it was not like uh, people say, was it a hunting trip uh, or a fishing trip? And we, nope. <laughs> it's so neither of those. Did you have any guns in case there was bears? And no, we didn't carry any guns in case there were bears. We would. We got to the point where we would carry a, an emergency locator transmitter with us. Though that's a good idea. And before that, a couple of times we went with a two-way radio. Traveling in northern Quebec, and the guy that had the two-way radio, too, he also spoke both languages. And so every night when he did his transmission, we were on the Rupert River. He'd be able to do it in English and in French. Yeah, yeah, that's handy. you got to have that. She's hiding behind the foosball is, is she, table. Are you there? <laughs> Where the hell are Your you? Your wife is literally well, under the foosball okay. well, table. that's all. I did see a leak. <laughs> Nothing God, to see there. Yeah, she, I don't want to... I don't want to go too deep. It's good that she she's here. Honestly, I, I get crazy. You're a November 17th. I'm a November 14th. Did then you, you understand. Did you ever buy into the Scorpio business? Yes, I think I did. You did? Yeah, I think I did. All the different uh, uh, chronicling of your life over the last 10 years. That'll tell you. Yeah. There's some Scorpio there, I'd say, oh, don't yeah. you think? Yeah. yeah, I was bad. <laughs> I was bad. I... I I created a, a lot of uh, emotional stress and, and, and a lot of other people, too, other than just myself. But I didn't realize that I was doing that, of course. I always felt that I was uh, innocent of uh, inflicting my emotional stress upon others <laughs> without, without realizing what I was doing, you know. Was there some sort of a turning point, you know, a light that turned on where you thought uh, the, the emotional maturity is finally here? Well, I mean, my third marriage is pretty, is pretty good, and uh, you know, a long, long time ago, I gave up alcohol. Right, that's a big one. Uh, you know, so so it's, it's been, I've been sort of in a state of uh, re- repentance uh, for, for many years now. Because once you get away from alcohol, I mean, it changes your whole your whole outlook on life, and, and uh, all of a sudden you you lose weight, and you uh, after two or three months you. You become a new person. You're buying new pants with a with a, where you go from like a 36 to a 34 inch waist. <laughs> you know? uh, at one time, I was up to like 190 pounds, and uh, now I'm back down to 130, and that's that's really good singing weight. I, I sing well at that weight, and and also my, it it suits my stage apparel too because I have my own unique costuming you do uh, routine that i <laughs> i love it there's a lot of different looks in yeah, fact I'm yeah. lo- here's one right here there you are on the cover of zoomer you like to have the belt hang down just a little oh i, 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 I there it is right? <laughs> as it, we speak man. it's like literally there yeah, it's on it. you as we speak You're lo- yeah that's it so we're looking at the cover of zoomer <laughs> magazine there you are brian yeah. adams uh took that picture well, Brian was at the house too, and, I, and he's one of my favorite musicians. And uh, it, it's the third time that he's uh, f- photographed me. I, I, I said, uh, "Why did you become a photographer?" And he said, "Because the first time I, I picked up a camera, people started calling me." <laughs> that was what he said. People's the calls, the calls started coming. All right. He so. said, "I picked up the camera, and the calls." <laughs> He, it's the an interesting. From Zoomer were there too, and it was a, we had a great afternoon. Lots of fun with them. And you're looking dapper. It's a great photo shoot. Lots of different uh, costumes, as you point out. Well, that's in my house, and everybody was there. Uh, yeah. Interesting about Brian Adams. I think about him sometimes. The way he treats his band is. I don't know that they do a. My understanding, anyways, I don't know that they do a ton of rehearsing. I think they they. They have the songs, they have the hits, and they kind of get out there and do their thing when they go out on tour. That is, my understanding is that is the antithesis <laughs> of how you operate. You run a pretty tight ship. Yeah, I, we, uh, we're, we we try to plan. You got to have a, a game plan going ahead. Yeah, and uh, be ready for any eventuality. Uh, in July, I had a leg injury that had me laid up for four months, and we had to reorganize. I read about it and all. Of, Nicholas Jennings People says he couldn't unsee it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I got, I, I fought my way through that when we're okay yeah. now. We're back yeah. playing again, but that that brought everything to a stop, like for four months. And, and where does that perfectionism 
come from? People say perfectionist, meticulous, particular. You know, these are the words that get thrown around about your methods of maybe rehearsal and, and writing. Does that go all the way back to mom and dad? Where did that come from? Probably back there. Yeah. I, 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 it, we're doing so many shows that actually, lately we've been touring so much and everything like that, we haven't been doing too much rehearsing. So When you're playing that much. Yeah, sometimes it's just, we just rehearse one or two at a time. Now. Right. Uh, well, I still practice it all the time. I know you do. I have to practice. I don't mind practicing, but I, I do. I do have to practice guitar. Yeah. Every time I think of practicing, it takes me, my mind into another <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, it's, it's it's how it works, I right? We've got, got a method method for everything. I got a method even for practicing. Yeah, I, I love to watch uh, sports games on TV and practice while I'm while I'm watching the game on TV. I don't go to very many games, but I I love watching all the games. You ever you ever play along with the commercials? <laughs> no, I, that's when I when I, I well I could practice through through a commercial or two. Yeah, but. You're watching a game and you're practicing at the same time. It's kind of it, it makes sort of sense. Meditative somehow. Yeah, you're getting ready, just like like they have to be. Yeah, you're getting ready. <laughs> they they were ready to play, and now they're playing. And you think they'd be ready to play? Yeah. You, know, they, 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 <laughs> yeah, right. so, you hope some of them more so than others. We. Yeah. We have to be be like that all the time. And as our family lives, there are other interests. That people have, and we have to to stay connected and get ready for the for the next trip because nobody wants to go out there and do a do a halfway show. I mean, like we're, we're like like Rush, like we're like Getty and the guys yeah. were before the we lost Peart, the drummer. Yeah, Neil. But, but, but uh, like we, we we go as full tilt as, as they do, <laughs> do, like Rush. Yeah. It's in a different kind of a way, though. Right, of course. Uh, so, so in order to be that way, you gotta be prepared. So, you can't take your your mind off it, and you gotta think about your family, and you gotta learn how to divide your time. And I don't know if I've learned how to do that yet. Yeah. How to divide my time really properly so that everybody can be happy with what you're doing, and you're not stepping on anyone's toes. And, and I try to get away with doing all this stuff without offending any members of my family. It's got to be tricky. Honestly, because not spending enough time or what they read about in interviews. Sure. You can get a close-in uh, commentary from some of them. They'll give you a, a, a close-in you know, attack, if you want to call it. <laughs> things that they've read about themselves that I have said. Right. In interviews, and all I can say is, well, I'm sorry, and I... I've forgotten. I won't do it again because they bring it up, and I do remember it. And a lot. Of, and, and when I'm making interviews now, I try to to keep things up and up and up. So when people close to me will not be offended by anything I might have said. You you feel a great responsibility not only to your family but your band. Yeah, and, and them too. And I don't talk about them enough. Like I, I don't talk enough about Ronnie Hawkins. Ronnie Hawkins is one of my very biggest benefactors. I don't talk enough about, about Ian Tyson and, and the people who got me started. Peter, Paul, and Mary, you know, got my career started. I was what? so lucky. I was just so, you know. John Donamy had a theory that it was Ronnie Hawkins' work ethic with the Hawks that inspired you to push your band as hard as you push your band. You know, Ronnie's is one, he's, he's one of my very, he is such an unselfish, totally unselfish. Funny person. guy, too. Yeah. <laughs> and he has helped more guy, more people, and me. He's, he's promoted my stuff. He's recorded my songs. He's been yeah. just a, I don't give him near enough credit, but he's one of my best friends. Yeah. You know, it's like you almost feel like you don't, you don't have to. We've got to hang out with Christopherson a couple of times together in the last three years so at least we've had, had some time together did his work ethic with the band inspire you was that something you saw you'd be there sit there half the night listening to him re rehearsing them to go on the road with them they became his road band yeah so some of us got to do that you know, i heard that, that uh, Ron, ronnie calls you gordonia 
Yeah, well, that we're telling you that that's it. You know, that's it. That's that, that was it. I'm a long ways from home, and I miss my loved ones so. In the early morning rain, with no place to go. What happens when Elvis sings one of your songs? What what happens here? Well, I, I, I was driving from Aurelia, and I, I almost dropped, jumped out of the car when I heard it in the car bridge. I was only going to 80 miles an hour, though. I, I said, what? I said, really? I said, really? I, said, I was driving. And there it was in the car register, uh, Elvis doing early morning rain. Yeah. I said, I didn't even know that this did done this, you know. Yeah. And then it sounded so good, and it was so well done, and I said, oh, my goodness gracious. And he does. He has a great version. I have a, a fun memory. I was working at a radio station called Proud FM, which was an LGBT, gay, lesbian-focused radio station. Uh, uh, As you can imagine, a lot of dance divas, a lot of uh, gay anthems, but also Gordon Lightfoot. <laughs> we're, we're in there. Stars on 54. Uh, Viola Wills. Yes. If you could read my mind, disco. That must have been a tremendous moment for you to all of a sudden be put through the bass and the you know the string sections and everything that they do in disco music. Have your music in that format. I hope they play her tonight. We're going to benefit tonight. I hope they, that that's the one that they might get her to use. The girl singer is going to be singing. I say, get the girl to listen to Viola Wills. Yeah. She's right on the internet. All you got to do is just ask for Viola Wills. And right. There it is. And also she used brass, brass section on it that really worked well. It was early in the video. I think that if she had a big, a bigger record company at the time, that that could have been a, got some legs and made it right up the top of the chart. Right. And it was uh, the Stars on 54. They sort of did a cover of the Viola Wills they one as well. They had 43 minutes of it in, through the show. Yeah. They used it all the time. I was so proud. Uh, Mike Myers... He came. He called my office to, like I, I ran my own had my own publishing. That's years. right. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, uh, to see if, he, if they could do it, and I, and I said, "Well, go and listen to Viola Wilson." <laughs> he says, "It's a disco movie." Yes, yeah, disco. Can we do a disco? I said, "Well, of course." <laughs> it's already been pretty, more or less done. <laughs> yeah, she did it. Yeah, right, right. But I look at the the names: Johnny Cash, as you said, Peter Paul and Mary, Glenn Campbell, Waylon Jennings, Diana Krall, Sarah McLaughlin, Neil Young, Ian and Sylvia, Nico, The Grateful Dead, for crying out loud. Yeah, Kingston Trio. Kingston Trio. <laughs> Judy uh, Judy Collins. Dry Sand. Liza Minnelli. George Hamilton the Fourth, <laughs> Marty Robbins. Marty Robbins. <laughs> I know it's amazing. Johnny Cash. I, you know, I did. I find it amazing. I don't. I don't know why. Why are they? Are they doing this? It's why. Like why? You, what? You, what do they find? You know. You've credited a great imagination uh, 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 for this. Is that uh, fair? That maybe it's it's the lyrics, you know, or something, because I always try to like like keep that all straight, keep the lyrics all straight, so they can understand what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. It, it seems to be a goal, you know, about them to understand what I'm saying. If I could only have you near to breathe a sigh. You are with art at the end of the world. My name is Mark Wigmore. We'll return with more music and stories with my guest, Gordon Lightfoot, in moments. You are listening to Art at the End of the World on the Zoomer Podcast Network. We return now to my conversation with the legend, Mr. Gordon Lightfoot. Baby, step back. Baby, step back. Step up or step back. Now you know I don't 
when I knew I was going to be talking to you, I, I started thinking about all the different times I've, I've had run-ins with Gordon Lightfoot in my life, and that's been, you know, whether I've w- watched you on TV or picking up my first copy of Gord's Gold or what have you. My parents, of course, went to see you back in the 70s. But one of the, the memories I have is listening to Art Bell coast to coast on AM radio. He was on 300 radio stations, just passed away a couple of years ago. And at that point, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, he'd only ever had on a couple of musicians because basically he talked about aliens, ghosts, and time travel. And that's what he did. So the only musicians I ever heard on that show were Steven Stegall from from a musical standpoint. Yeah. Crystal Gale. Yeah. And you, Gordon Lightfoot, overnight for three hours talking to Art Bell. Do you remember that at all? I remember. I, uh, how could I possibly forget <laughs> that? It, it, it came about what, one of the members at, at, at the health club, Arthur Smith. Okay. This guy promoted skating events. He said, get in touch with Art Bell. You should do his show. So I, I told the record company about it. And I think they contacted them. And the next thing I heard, I was doing Art Bell. It was so interesting. I remember that night he was playing your music, and he was playing uh, If I Could Read Your Mind, and afterwards he played commercial, and then If I Could Read Your Mind, and then he said, I love music. (laughs) That was his big line, very broad. (laughs) But it was so fun to hear you on that. I started listening to his show, and I... I, Yeah, did you like that show? Yeah, I I said, my God, I said, this is like... Like big time. Here's a guy. Goodness gracious! It goes all over the country. He did. He goes. It was everywhere. And here I am. I'm on this show, and I, I, I really couldn't believe it. Did he ask you about ghouls and ghosts and aliens on no, that show? He did, no, he talked about <laughs> only music. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what it was like being in the music business. Yeah. Right now, the guy who took over from Nuri, he George Nuri, yeah. the one guy he'd love to get on there is Bob Dylan. He said that one night I heard him say it. So that's another memory I have of you is being at the Songwriters Hall of Fame and being at the table next to you as you're talking to Leonard Cohen. You guys were enjoying a sparkling water or something like that. That was the one here, darling. <laughs> she, she was with me at the at the, the one in New York that we that we did. We got it for the American one. I remember that. Yeah, a few years back too. And. Uh, I we were spent most of his time hanging out with Kenny Rogers. <laughs> now, he's, there's a guy who covered you. Yeah, really. Yeah. I mean, he wanted me on his TV show when, when they were doing it here in Toronto, and I was such a big shot at the time. I, <laughs> I turned him down. Oh, called, my goodness. Rolling on the River, it was called. Right. Of course, it was such a treat to watch you and Leonard have a little conversation. Yeah, that was good. That and, was good. We talked. We spoke a few, a few times. And I know you've been, you know, had this relationship with Bob Dylan, and people often talk about the two of you together. But when I think about the way Bob Dylan was famous for writing, often they would say he would write, you know, a, a famous song that he wrote maybe in an hour. But Leonard Cohen was actually a real sculptor like you. The two of you guys would work for a long time on a song. So I, I sort of felt like maybe you got, you were closer to Leonard in writing style than, than maybe Bob. Well, they both took about, probably about the, most of them took about, basically about the, the same amount of time, but there's always this one or two that happen real quick. Right. And there's, there's been several of those, actually. Uh, like, for instance, I had, if you could read my mind, and Cotton Jenny, that's an at one afternoon thing where everything is just about Pretty much done. Just about pretty much done. Yeah. 
Like George Harrison talked about, he would never leave a song. Once he started, he just had to finish it. Like he couldn't, he couldn't be halfway done. Well, oh. I had one that took eight years. <laughs> so really? there, there goes that idea. It was just how it, how it started. It's the only one. Yeah. I wanted because it, it was a fun song and with a beat. And it was called The No Hotel. <laughs> the No Hotel. I finally got her done. And I hear you like a toe tapper. Yeah, I, we got. Oh, we got. We got. Our, our show is is loaded with with, with toe. <laughs> a classic Gordon Lightfoot toe yeah. tapper. The legend lives on from the Chippewa on down of the big lake they call Gitchagumi. The lake, it is said, never gives up her dead when the skies of November turn gloomy. John Donaby, I talked to him recently. He told me that he thought you had uh, redone some of the lyrics to Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald at some point, once you knew a little more about the story. Is that true, that you took the editing pen to that song? One spot. Okay. One spot. We had a, a, a ladies' committee in Madison, Wisconsin, and, and uh, Reverend Ingalls and his son, a preacher attorney, an attorney preacher okay. son. <laughs> right. He was also a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> and they were in charge of the, of the Lutheran Church, the mission in Detroit, right by where the tunnel, but the ladies in the, Mad- the Madison, Wisconsin, did not like the lineup with the Edmund Fitzgerald because one of their members' sons, Ruth Hudson, was one of the deckhands who okay. was supposed to be looking after the hatch covers at night. Okay. And one of the other women, uh, Cheryl Rosman, now her foreman named Cheryl Cundy, her father Ransom, Ransom Cundy, who was a bit older than than Bruce, was was the other deckhand who was supposed to be looking after the hatch covers. Okay. And and after a while, meeting all the people through the years, it it became a little blame game developed. And uh, I had to answer to Ruth Hudson. (laughs) particular on this. Can, what can you do? I heard it discussed one day on a, on a talk show, on a, a radio talk show. That's how far it had to, taken off, yeah. So I changed it, and I, I instead now, I looked at the at the time schedule. The ship sank at about 7.30 in the evening. I, I got the Coast Guard report, still at my house. So I said, we're, we're into November. Are we on daylight saving time yet <laughs> at that point? Right. And the perfect answer comes to me. So I lose, I lose the head, the, the hatch covers. Instead of saying at 7 p.m., a main hatchway gave in. When supper time came, the old cook came on deck, saying, "Fellas, it's too rough to feed you." At 7 p.m., a main hatchway gave in. He said, "Fellas, it's." Been on the radio station, they started saying, well, did he say caved in or did he say... <laughs> <laughs> They're really going after the technicalities, yeah. And I, I said, that's it. And I got Ruth, Ruth Hudson on the telephone and she, she, she was longer with us. And I said, I know what we can do. I can ch- change it for all the concerts that we do from this point on. And that was 20 years ago. And believe you me, I'm involved in this. I, I have a... A scholarship at the at the Maritime Academy. Which right. Ever said, yeah, I know right. what the hell I'm talking about. You know sailing. I, I said I'll change it in all the shows, but I can't change the record. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I already did Gord's Gold. I re redid all those songs. I can't so do I this one. It to, yeah. Instead of saying at 7 p.m. a main hatchway gave in, I said at 7 p.m. it grew dark. It was then. Then I said, fellas. It's been because I know you. But there, I had to borrow a line from Woody Guthrie. Okay. Anyway, so I was able to leave that alone. I've always admitted that. I've always... Right. We never knew the song was ever going to do anything. Of course. It did. Of course. It was a complete, total shock to everyone. Well, who would have expected it's so long? And <laughs> They called me from, uh, from L.A. about it just as I was getting off a canoe trip at the record company. And they said, we, we, we have to edit it to... Get it on top twenty radio here in Los Angeles. It climbed that far. What can we do to shorten it? I said, Well, you can't very well 
you know, start cutting the, the lines out of her, the story's It's not going to make any sense, yeah. And so what, what I did is I, well, we were coming driving home from Flin Flon, Manitoba <laughs> at the end of a canoe trip. <laughs> with L.A. <laughs> on the phone. Up with, you know, Flin Flon, you know, it's the, the home of, uh, who was it came from Flin Flon? Why was real famous? Yeah, you're right. It, it was, it was lived in Perry Sound, but I think it was... Flynn Flon, it's definitely well, right? It could be a hockey player. Bobby, Bobby Bobby Clark. Bobby Bobby. Clark. Okay, from Flynn Flon. Yeah. Yeah. So so there was a hotel there, and (laughs) he asked me to do the national anthem one time at the at the hockey game in Philadelphia, and he knew I was going to be there, and I I said I'm not going to. I said but not only am I Canadian, but I'm I'm a a Leaf fan. And the next time I saw him was at an event in uh, in Montreal. Even the, the Prime Minister Mulroney was there. Okay. Bobby Clark would, wouldn't speak to me. He would, <laughs> because of the Bobby hockey Clark thing. To me there. <laughs> he, he came to my, my show. He he came to hear us play when we played in Philadelphia one time, and he brought four of the other hockey players from the. And we'd all gone. And Pat Quinn was was part of it too. He was good old Pat Quinn, good Irishman. And, yeah, and we we went back and had beer together at the, at the in the hotel lounge after the show. Yeah, with all these guys and Bill Barber had just broken his leg and he and he was on a had a great big cast in his leg and he was on on crutches. <laughs> and there we all are. We all having beer beers with with, with Bobby Clark. Oh, wow, how about that? Not Bobby Orr, but, but there was <laughs> but, two. There were two great players. Yeah. Bobby Clark. But Bobby Clark eventually became the manager, the full-time manager, of the, and probably, I guess he still is. It's always interesting to hang out with uh, with professional athletes. They're a specific breed, eh? Well, we got to do some of that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we got to do some of that. Like, we got to, to hang out with Larry, the guy who just got with the, the inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame, came to our show with all his... Larry... Uh, Oh, jeez. Darling, Larry Walker. Larry, <laughs> Larry Walker, Walker, okay. With all his golfing buddies. All right. Came to see us about the second t- last time we lived in, we played in Florida, because our, our bus driver knew him. Okay. And he, and he got a hold of this guy, and then there's Larry Walker and all his golfing buddies, and their wives are all at the show. Yeah. At the meet and greet and everything. It was a great time. It was fun. In the early morning rain with a dollar in my head With a naked in my heart In the pockets full of sand I'm a long way from home Lord, I miss my loved one's soul In the early morning rain With no place to go I can remember hearing early morning rain, and even though I hadn't had that exact experience, I understood the emotional experience. I understood where your head was at, and that was such a powerful transmission from you to me, you know, listening to that piece and feeling your despair, but also feeling your hopefulness. It's very, very powerful to be able to share that with people. Well, thank you. That was at music school. One guy had a car. Two guys had cars. <laughs> Got to have the friend I, with the car. I was in Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, I was 19 years old. Everybody in little town of Orillia. Yep. The heck is this guy <laughs> trying to do by going to, to Los Angeles? And the school was in, it was in Hollywood. It was on... Sunset Boulevard when right. I read about it in Downbeat Magazine because of the many musical interests that I had during high school, jazz was one of them and we used to get on the bus and come down to the jazz at the Philharmonic at Massey Hall and I was only old enough to not old enough yet to drive Right. we would come down by bus to uh, jazz at the Philharmonic produced by Norman Granz all famous jazz musicians Miles Davis, I mean, there, there was like hundreds. He had these people working all over the planet. It was called Jazz at the Philharmonic. Right. By the time we, I wasn't driving either. By the time we finished high, finished high school, we were reading a magazine called Downbeat Magazine, and they advertised a school in LA, and we went, my friend and a 
myself decided to go there. The usual Aurelia to Los Angeles cross-country trip. Hell, what the hell is he trying to do? Right. <laughs> the, people, the folks back home. Uh, I wanted to take the the notation course. Right. Because I'd already learned how to write songs, but I couldn't write the music. And been told by visiting uh, when I was old enough to drive after a visit to BMI Canada, which is the first place I ever went to when I came to Toronto to see what I could do about my songwriting, that you had to be able to write your own lead sheets and your own music and know the chord symbols in order to register it and the lyrics with the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C. and with the Archive Canada here in Canada. You had to ed- register it with two to prove ownership. Right. You don't have to do that now. Right. All you got to do is send them a, a CD. But for the first about first 12 albums, 15, 14 albums, I had to hand write all, all the lead sheets. And I, and I did that. I did it gladly. Now, I think I saw the lead sheets in the movie. They're, they, they're, the, ve- they're very oh, beautiful. Oh, you, you did a lovely job. I got, I, got, <laughs> I got so good, I got a job. It was the first job I got when I got back to Toronto. Yeah. I was as a copyist. That's what I'd learned at school. We only stayed there for two semesters. One of the things we wanted to do at the school, only two guys had cars, was to go out to uh, Hermosa Beach uh, to the lighthouse to see Shelly Mann and his men one time, and the other time was to go and see Stan Canton, which is, that was a that was the thing. cat's meow yeah, yeah. in the days. And on the way out there, I, I remembered the, the Boeing 707 being introduced while I was in Britain in 1963. And, Seeing it flying over in the, uh, the golf course because the guys I was working with at the, during the TV show that summer for the BBC, it's the summer just before uh, Kennedy was assassinated, used to take me to play golf. And I saw these airplanes coming in. I said, what is that? That's the brand new, you know, 707. And uh, we would stop and watch, watch them come in. Beautiful yeah. airplane they were. And I remember it was a, it was a cloudy day one day, and I, we were watching both taking and landing because in those days at Los Angeles Airport in 1958, you could go anywhere all around the airport. There was no buildings. There was no hotels. It was, it was like, it was like the, the story from Hollywood. It was like the movie. I, I was watching through, through a low overhang, a, a, a low ceiling, and all of a sudden I could hear one coming. I'd never seen one before. Boeing 707. Sure. All of a sudden, from about 250 feet up, one of them just dropped right out of the clouds. It just dropped. It looked like, sure, it landed. Oh, of course. It yeah. Landed. And everything, everything was safe and everything was good. And I never forgot that. <laughs> Not so much the takeoff. I say big 707 set to go. So what I did is I got, I got a day when I could envision that. So I called, this, we called Air Canada my office to see if I could be let on the the, the tarmac with, a, with a, a, a Super 8 camera. And they said, yes, you may. <laughs> so <laughs> we went out to the airport in Malta, and, and all afternoon I stood with my wa- watching airplanes leaving, coming in and leaving, whichever I wanted to be because they let me go. God, they, they all gave me a Jeep, for God's sake, to get a... <laughs> wow, they really treated you. Uh, so I'm, ba- I'm babysitting that eight-month-old son. Yeah. <laughs> Watching the jet planes. And and I'm back now. We're back in Toronto, and 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 it's four years later. And that morning, my former wife, uh, Rita, a Swede. I went to Scandinavia to marry her. Everybody thought I was nuts for doing that too. For uh, marrying her, or for going uh, overseas. For going for <laughs> to Scandinavia to do it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I just praise you know, I, I can't you know can't even think about it. Uh, but but I, I'm getting so close to the end of this tale that that so she's given me a title. She used to make get song titles for me. She would pick them out of magazines, and she didn't speak English. And she 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 came over here to work for a business magazine when she was 21 years old to work with a, a business machine company on very little English, and yet she learned to speak English real fast. She was a a smart young, a smart woman. She was about 25, and I was about 22, so that gave her a bit of <laughs> yeah. She had an extra step on you there. Yeah. <laughs> so she's she's left with the title "Early Morning Train." Here's a title for you to write a song. You're always thinking about trains. Right. 
She doesn't. She hasn't heard too much about the going out Hermosa Beach and to see Stan Kenton and watching just to watch the airplanes landing in Los Angeles International Airport in 1958. <laughs> you know. So I'll say instead of train, though, I'm going to say rain. Yeah. And I started thinking about the one coming in of the first about entered was the one coming in of the out of the out of the low the low ceiling. That's the first one I ever saw. And I started writing and I wrote that that song in, in two hours. There you go. That was very Bob and Dylan I, of I you. Called my, I had a special tuning up on my guitar too. I had an open tuning on the third position in D open on my twelfth string when I wrote that one. I had all the everything was right I had the right guitar, the right key. I called my uh, my manager in New York. He listened to it on the phone. And Joe, he said to me, "What?" He's and we already had an album, and and we already had two recordings on this song, one by Ian and Sylvia, one by P and Peter Paul and Mary. He said, "You'll never have to worry about money again, Gordon." He said. Was he right? He was right. <laughs> Out on the runway number nine. Six seven oh seven said to go, and I'm stuck here in the grass with a pain that ever grows. I played it for him over the telephone, sitting up outside of the desk. And I, I said, will you, "Will you check this out?" They called in his office, and and I played it for him over the telephone. He said, "Gordon, you don't have to worry about money again." It's a good story, Gordon. Go dancing, would you like to go home? Would you like to go dancing? Would you like to go home? Would you like to go anywhere? Why not give it a try? Where would you like to roam? I just wanna stay home. So we started working on this album a year and a half ago. I've been listening to it, just thinking about everything that you put into it. I mean, it feels to me like just a great Gordon Lightfoot record, you know? Like it felt very familiar to me. And yet, you've played with the language, you've played with the lyrics, done some nice sort of changes and updates for the times we live in, but at the same time, it just feels like very comfortable. Well, thank you. And also, at the time, I, I thought about the Springsteen album, uh, yeah. Nebraska. Yeah, the fact that uh, that was a solo album, his band stood aside. But my guys, they they were not at all offended by the fact that I was doing it this way. Originally, they were we were going to do it. We yeah. were going to take the, the stuff and do it all over again and just build it right up from the right do the big studio, the all the guys, and, yeah, and the whole deal. But we're not getting any younger and uh, so forth. And we got family, and we don't want to be driving back and forth down the Queen Elizabeth Way for twenty five trips. Because right. we would record in Hamilton, we would. We'd, what, we'd what, was the, what was the choice for Hamilton? What was the thing? Because there? Bob Deutsch is my engineer, and he's the, the guy I trust, and he's the guy I want to work with. So he's in Hamilton. He, he runs <laughs> Grand Avenue Studio. Yeah. The, the, so we had you, that to take into consideration. Did you have to hole up down there? Did you get a place and everything? I, no, no, no. I was going back and forth down wow. the old, the old McDonald Carche Freeway, as they called it back then. Now it's the road to Niagara Falls. It's the, <laughs> the Queen Elizabeth Way. You yeah, know, that's we right. Love. I love Canada. I love, <laughs> I love Toronto. I love the Queen Elizabeth Way. You know, I do. And We're just a colony, as I often say to my British friends. I was saying yeah. that to Richard Flohill the other day. We're just a colony. Oh, Richard. Oh, my goodness. Oh, God. How's he doing? He's very good. Oh, he tells me that uh, even though you're around the same age, he doesn't work out nearly as much as you do. Well... It, I, I, it, half of it is, is psychological, and, and uh, I have to work on my on my psychology to get my my show really good. I have to to train myself, and, and the workout is is fifty percent workout, and the other fifty percent is showing up. Right, <laughs> sitting down, so, sitting showing down at up, the table, yeah. showing up. For the workout, is, and believe, I don't have it in my basement, and I don't. I, I have to belong to a health club. Right. I don't mind belonging to a health club. 
And I, I don't have to go to a job because I'm my own boss, although I, I'm always thinking, I'm always doing something. You get up in the morning and go down, have breakfast and go down and do it first thing almost every day. Just get it out of the way. Yeah, yeah. almost every day. Right, that's pretty good. That, when, I, when I first uh, started going, it was 1982, so I've been doing it for almost 40 years now. And Well, really, I started in 1980, but I hadn't given up alcohol yet. People say, how can I possibly do this? That time I didn't. I went maybe twice a week for the first 10 years. Right. And then after sort the of where I am. five years, <laughs> I stacked up to three times a week. Yeah. And, and we got off the booze. And actually, when I got off the booze, I, I started going a lot more. And uh, after about doing it for 23, 24 years, I said, hey, this is helping my vocal. I feel better about my singing. I'm getting more power out of my lungs. What it, what's causing this? So I started going, going four or five times a week. Right. Well, I'm a DJ for four hours a day, so I know exactly what you're talking about. You, you go for a swim or you go for something in the morning, and you just have a better vocal day. And it drives me crazy if I have a bad vocal day. They say, what do you do on the road? I don't do anything on the road. <laughs> you don't. My, my my lovely wife Kim Dutt, my little wife Kim, who who is with us here today, who in the studio, uh, travels with me. Yeah. She's been traveling with me for eight, eight years, and she works with my crew. And she's a, 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 a you know a wonderful asset. She helps the road manager. We we do merchandising now. I said I'd never do merchandising. The road manager's looking after the merchandising. She's looking after me. She makes her throw get. Sure, get fed. Right. That's uh, big sure. on the road, right? Yeah. Yeah. Ba- basic that's, things like that's that. A, well, but it's one of the things that you suffer from is yeah, yeah. bad food, lack of sleep, you know, not in the right place to stay, and all those types yeah. of things. Uh, it's been an honor to sit here and have uh, a conversation and talk about some of these great people in your life and these stories and these songs. And uh, thank you for allowing me to have this, uh, this time with you, and congratulations. I hope I didn't go too deep. You can talk to your wife about that. Oh, gee. oh my goodness, <laughs> darling, are Great we okay? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you, Gordon. Okay. Did I do okay? Would you like to find someone? Would you like to pass by? Would you like to find someone? Would you like to pass by? Would you like to find anything? Why not give it a try? Would you like to stand by? I just want to be me. There it is. Thank you, Gordon Lightfoot. The new album is Solo. You can find it where you love to stream and download music. Maybe uh, pick up a hard copy. That would be a nice idea. I've been doing that lately. Very fun. The sound quality is always so much better, whether you enjoy it on uh, CD or vinyl. Solo, the new Gordon Lightfoot record, available now. I also want to thank our wonderful sponsors over this last season, Crows Theatre, crowstheater.com. Be sure to Take in a show once uh, the doors are open again. And Red Eye Media, thank you to Suzanne and the company for two seasons of support. Really, that is a huge deal. And uh, thank you so much for being on board with this show. Thank you for listening. Thank you to you. We are in talks about a third season, so I'm hoping we get a chance to do that. You can listen to episodes at artattheendoftheworld.com, classicalfm.ca, and then wherever you subscribe to podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Spotify, all available to you. My name is Mark Wigmore. Please do be safe and help others during this difficult time and support local artists as best you can. Buy a record, stream a concert, help out with a GoFundMe page. We hope to be back. We'll speak to you then and for as long as we can.
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.